Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. Today, we'll be covering chapters 6, 7, and 8, The Westwood, Out of the Woods, and A Place of Safety. Enjoy. All right, welcome. We're going to get started with episode five of the Will Reads. Um, is everyone on here? This is Alan. Do we got? Hey, everybody. It's Chris. Uh, casting tonight from uh, my very old sailboat sitting on the mighty Patuxent River. Very excited to be here. It's raining, so uh, if it puts me to sleep, somebody call and wake me up. <laughs> Will do. Kind of moving on to, uh, before we get started with the episode, one thing that we did last time, which kind of was a joke, we were talking about um, how we had no listeners in North Dakota. So rather than do analytics, I said I wouldn't do it anymore. Um, I think we're just going to pick a state or a different country every single week and ask you guys as listeners to see if you could find more people to listen to us. Obviously, we're trying to grow right now. Uh, we're trying to find new listeners everywhere in all corners of the world and also in the United States. So I'll let Ian pick a place this week. So. Yeah, so before we got on, we looked at the data, data, however you want to say that. And uh, I didn't want to go too oddball. We'll keep it in the States and not too complicated. We're going to go with Kansas in in, uh, in honor of their Super Bowl victory. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, won't, we won't go any further into that joke, but yeah, Kansas. So we're, we're going to find someone from Kansas. All right, so Kansas, uh, if you know anyone from Kansas... Send, uh, send, share this with them. Uh, hopefully we can get someone listening from there by the next time we record. Um, other things as well, anything going on in personal life or anything new and exciting? Um, I know Ian has a big day tomorrow because my son has a big day tomorrow. So that's that's exciting. And Bob Marley has a big day tomorrow. And Babe oh, Ruth dead. has a big day tomorrow. And he's and dead. Ronald <laughs> has a big day tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, uh, so you, your son and I, uh, birthday's tomorrow, so I'll be the big 3-7. Very excited about that. Oof. Getting close to 40. Yeah. Oh, thank Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we like my son. already made this note. I'm the young guy in the group. <laughs> yeah. yeah really. my, my son turns a, a, a grand old age of two uh, tomorrow. So. <laughs> the big O two. The big O2, yeah. So uh, one thing that I'm actually really excited about um, with that is for his birthday, uh, NASA is actually launching a rocket from Wallops Island this weekend. Um, so we're going to drive out to the eastern shore part of Virginia where uh, NASA has a, has a rocket launching facility, and they're doing a space station uh, uh, for the International Space Station, or I guess a resupply mission. Uh, so they're sending an unmanned rocket up. So we're going to – Drive out there Sunday afternoon and uh and get to watch a rocket go up live, which is kind of cool. Um, I've never done it before, and uh, f- space fascinates me in general, and I'm kind of a geek, so I'm kind of excited just as much as my son is. So, looking forward to it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So, without talking too much more, let's go ahead and get into uh, some things from last week as well. Our last few times. Uh, get into some predictions that we had. So just to recap real fast, the one prediction that's kind of been reoccurring uh, the last couple of times is Tam is not Rand's dad. 
Moraine is up to no good was one thing that Ian said last week. And then, of course, Chris, a few weeks ago, talked about the dragon claw uh, being one of the symbols for the chapter, that that's what that symbol was, uh, that upside down um, teardrop or whatever, uh, the symbol on that one chapter. So keep those in mind as we get into this chapter. Uh, so we're going to start with chapter six, the Westwood. Um, and as all the chapters we do, we're going to start with the symbols. So this chapter we got the heron marked blade or at least the hilton so yeah so uh this one it, it kind of follows the description you can't see the curved part of the blade like we got in the description before um it's pretty straightforward everything else is is about how i pictured it and i've actually gotten good about looking at this and thinking about it before i get into reading uh so considered how the sword might come into play as a, as a, we talked about it before that there might be something special about this sword. And of course that kind of plays out. We get more hints towards that. So that was pretty cool. I definitely, now that I've seen the, um, the hilt of the sword, uh, have to take back the whole idea that it could be a samurai sword. Um, I think it's more or less, let me think of the type of sword that I'm trying to think of like a Shaolin sword. So one that would be used by a Thai master or a Kung Fu master. Okay. So um, by, the, by the way, Chris, you're obviously our sword expert because you're this last episode, you talked about something like a Zimbuktu or so. I don't even know how you passed it, but it was like, <laughs> you've been all, yeah, okay, all these different swords. I'm like, I'm sitting there. It's like, my mind's just spinning. Like I never knew this many swords existed. <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact about Chris, he has a small sword collection. <laughs> Which would include Sting. It would include the two swords that Legolas has. It would include uh, McLeod from Highlander. <laughs> I have oh, a nice. set. <laughs> wow. There could be only one. That's awesome. <laughs> I've got like a wooden katana for practice. I just, you know, I had a few more, but, you know, my upbringing is a fun one. And my stepfather stole a few, then sold a few, which I don't even know where you sell swords in Newport News, but. Pawn shop. They weren't. <laughs> I could probably walk into one. They're probably still sitting there 15 years later. But yeah, I think it's going to be like more or less a Shaolin um, or like a Wushu martial arts sword, which is okay. what the uh, Kung Fu specialists use. Just looking at the um, hilt of the sword that you get in the depiction and the blade is a straight blade. Like if I know you only see like a little bit on that picture but it would have already had a slight curve even at the very hilt of the sword if it was going to be one used in a karate. So. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I learned something new. <laughs> All right. So uh, one thing to also keep in mind with the symbols and everything like that, sometimes the symbols will start to represent different characters in the book. So um, characters might have multiple symbols that represent them. So, you know, it might just not be one symbol that represents that character. Like you said, the harp and the gleeman, um, you, know, uh, you know, the sword might represent someone, the ravens might represent someone, you know, all these different symbols we've seen might represent a character or might represent re events or it could just be something completely different. So um, just something else to keep in mind as we re-see our, our these, these symbols start to reoccur, see if you can put kind of put dots together, just something fun to do as we go along. So getting started to the chapter. So we start out, I'll kind of start like we do every week with me kind of talking about the first scene and then we'll kind of go from there. So um, 
we're now moving out, out of the farm, um, you know, into the woods. Tam's cut is small, but his fever is really, really bad. Um, and, and, you know, at this point, Rand's just trying to make it to the quarry road um, that runs from, the, from Emmons Field to his farm or alongside of it uh, because he knows that at least that way he won't get lost on his way back. And then, of course, Tam starts muttering and having fever dreams and things like that. So I kind of want to start there or, or if you want to start you know, describing this thing. But, um, you know, we start with that first muttering and things Tam starts saying. And I think it's the most important part of this chapter. So, Well, before we even move that far, I just want to look at the very first part of the chapter. And it talks about how the, the uh, gash was shallow along the rib, but it was causing so much pain. So I think we really need to Pay attention to how these trollocs are able to harm people. I don't know. I, I know reading into the chapter it kind of explains why, um, and it, so I think this detail is very important to at least mm-hmm. keep in mind. <laughs> um, yeah, and and even in that uh, first page of the chapter, uh, something that jumped out at me, and this, you know, considering everything Rand's gone through, kind of makes sense. He's he's still maybe foolishly uh, clinging to hope. Uh, You know, he he says, or it says, surely the Trollocs would go on their way when they failed to find Tam and him when they came back to the farmhouse and found it uh, empty. Um, But but then you see the back and forth as he's traveling along the way here, you know, hopefully they're they're just going to go on their way. And then he's like, no, no, they're going to realize that he was there because of this other Trolloc that he killed. And, it's a struggle back and forth. He's trying to find some hope to cling to. Uh, and as he's journeying there, of course, his, his hope is when he gets to town, everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it's def- definitely his goal is to get to town. And, and it, it, he reiterate, reiterates that a bunch of times. That's, that's the safety. You know, He even talks about how he wishes he went back to the farmhouse and, and collected more supplies because how hungry he, he realizes he is. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe he has enough time to go get that. But then he thinks, he goes, well, you know, as soon as I get back to the inn, uh, Mistress Alvier, um, the, the innkeeper's wife, will, will feed me honey cakes, and you know she's going to feed me. So everything's going to be fine once we get to the village. That's kind of the. Yeah. Go ahead, one of y'all. I guess you guys. No, I, saying, I agree. It definitely gives. It shows his internal conflict, and then it leads us to the point to where he really feels like there's hopelessness in regards to making it because he's like some of these. They, some of them track by scent, others track by sound. They have uh, awesome vision. Like, what am I supposed to do? Nothing. I just have to start going. And then we get to the father's muttering. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so interesting because it starts off with, you're still lovely. Is it Kari? Is that how you pronounce yeah. the mother's Ka- name? Kari, yeah. It's still mm-hmm. lovely as a girl. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it kind of starts the, what was, um, Tam's internal dialogue, but he's actually speaking it out, going through this fevered dream. Yeah, so he starts talking. Yeah, he obviously starts muttering about his wife, and his wife's been dead for a long time. And Rand reminds him of that, saying, "You know," uh, but then tries to play along. Like he starts thinking about how his mom would have talked, so that way he doesn't, you know, upset his father. He also says, "If if Tam believed she was still alive." then the fever was even worse than Rand had thought. So mm-hmm. he, he gives no credit right off the bat. When Tam starts mumbling these things, Rand is already just chalking it up to the fever. 
Uh, and, and as we go on, like, I kind of looked at this as, um, you know, this is maybe some uh, deep thoughts and feelings that Tam has just kind of kept buried that are, that are bubbling out in this moment of despair, kind of similar to uh, the guy that's cool and collected, goes to the bar and gets wasted and just empties all his feelings on the table for the strangers. I mean, there's, there's truth that's going to come out. Uh, in this moment of desperation, but Rand is just chalking it up to fever. Uh, it's which they came like, over the dragon wall like a flood, Tam said suddenly in a strong, angry voice, and washed the land with blood. How many died for layman's sin? Yeah, right. So obviously, um, uh, he's recalling something, and uh, we don't know what this dragon wall is. We don't know who they are. Uh, besides, they get some context clues. You know, I think Rand immediately says, like, you know, the Trollocs are gone. It's not the Trollocs. And and he just, uh, you know, Tam just cuts Rand off immediately. He's like, not Trollocs, you know, like they were, they called them savages. They thought they could just brush aside, you know, but how many dead, how, you know, how many battles lost before they realized they weren't just these savages that cut fight. Like, so the fields of Martha's carpet with the dead and no sound but the cries of the ravens, the buzzing of the flies, the topless towers. Of Karen Hine burning it's, in the nightlight. Did I pronounce sure. it wrong? No, no, keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll correct you in a second. Karen <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hine burning in the nightlight torches all the way to the shining walls they burned and slew before they were turned back all the way to. So he really is living this battle scene, all or reliving or retailing a battle scene that. Rand's probably never even heard about, never would have thought to envision. So, sure. Tam's really going through some stuff here. So, the way this uh, particular city is pronounced is Kyrian. So, Kyrian. Um, I know that's uh, a, a difficult, more difficult than most the cities that we pronounce, whether it's Tarvalan or or, um, or, or Camelin. But uh, Kyrian is the is the correct way of pronouncing this particular city. And as we get further along with the series, you'll see this place over and over again. So hopefully we get better at that pronunciation there. And I, I know it's like it's one of the hardest ones to pronounce. So um, uh, just once again, that's uh, that's that's Kyrian, <laughs> which, yeah. Anyway. So I will try it a couple of times, but if I stumble on it more th- more than twice, I'm just going to call it the bad news. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um so yeah, they talk about Lam and Sen too. That's another thing. Um, so obviously, you know, there's Lam and Sen. There's these people that came over, um, and you know, there's a lot to talk about here. So, what do you guys think about this? What What do you guys think was going on, or do you think this is just him going crazy from the fever, or do you think this is something that actually happened? Or, well, see, this is where things get fun because right now everything is left to speculation, and. Uh... I think Ian's the best at speculating here in the group. <laughs> but, but like Laminson, like part of me wants to think of like the old, uh, was it Oedipus or? Sure. Oh, man, you know how he went and, and took the wife and you had the whole Battle of Troy because of that. Like maybe one man's sin, you know, kind of condemned the whole area. Sure. Yeah. You know. I don't know at this point. This this book is like had its twists and turns and surprises already. 
Sure. So they give a hint to what Lemonson was, but before we get there, that's when you know Rand has to shut his dad up real fast because he starts hearing the thud of 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 marching, and of, mm-hmm. of course we get some more description of you know a bunch of Trollocs obviously go by, but then I think what's really eerie is the description of when that rider comes back. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that scene, but that's just um, uh, that's kind of yeah, the I- break between yeah. I feel obligated to chime in. I told myself after giving Rand such a hard time last week that where I find opportunities to give him credit, uh, I would. Uh, and it, it goes back to some of the early uh, credit I gave to Rand, you know, the spidey senses when they when they kick in. Um, when uh, when he first recognized that, that these guys were coming down the road, and even though he was desperately trying to be hopeful that, you know, all he had to do was make it to the town, everything would be great. Uh, it says that almost instantly he knew what they were. He could feel it. So uh, again, like he, he has this ability to, uh, you know, sense the evil presence and whatnot. So, you know, I'll, I'll give him a little shout out for that. Uh, quick to quiet up Tam, um, you know, keep from, keep from getting found out by these guys. Yeah. It's really cool. Like the, the descriptions and the way he, he really digs into it. A flicker of emotion caught the eye, corner of his eye and in an instant, he was crouching over Tam. Like, he snapped to action right away because he knew something was off. So he was startled to feel the hilt of the sword clutch tight in his hand. But most of him concentrated on the quarry road as if the road were the only real thing in the entire world. So he was vigilant and hyper-focused. And his first instinct in that moment was to go for the sword because he felt comfort in that. So maybe... Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a battler in him after all. Um, and then yes. to go to his wavering shadows to the east slowly resolve themselves into a horse and a rider followed up the road by tall, bulky shapes. So literally, it says, I don't know if east really makes a difference. Like they gave a direction of where the shadow rose from. And it's just wavering shadows to the east slowly resolved themselves into a horse and a rider. I don't know if if the the direction has anything to play with the creation of the rider. Um, the whole wavering again goes to that feel of magic because like there's a disruption in that moment. And yeah. I kind of think about time magic and things like that from other things that I've played like Final Fantasy and mm-hmm. stuff like that, or thinking about you know older book series that I've read. And there's always when it comes to a time disturbance like a wave or a flicker or a pop or a crack or even watching a TV show. Like that's kind of how they describe time travel. So since this book is the wheel of time, it kind of makes me think maybe there's something to that. Um, but everything is speculation at this point on my behalf. <laughs> I like that you pointed out his instincts kicking in, uh, especially when it came to how he startled himself to feel the hilt of the sword clutched tight in his hand. So, uh, you know, the way he was raised and, and things he was taught by Tam, uh, there's things that you can be taught. That's the, the nurture part of becoming, you know, who we are. But then there's the nature part. There's stuff we're just born with. And, uh, of course, we find out as, as we go on later, there's more clues to this. But that, you know, I'm reading this. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm already convinced that 
Tam is not his dad. I know nothing about his mother or Tam's wife or whoever, where he comes from, but it's in his DNA to react this way. We, we talked about his, his heightened senses before, but now we're seeing an instinct uh, to grab the sword to, you know, just with a, a, a shimmer or some sort of like mild sense of danger, like he reacts. So maybe it's in his DNA. He comes from some sort of warrior class or whatnot. So I, I thought that was spot on, uh, Chris, pointing out the, the instinct and how that's significant. I love the description about the Trollocs in double file, all in step boots and hooves striking the ground as the same instance as if obeying a single mind. Like, I'm wondering if the fade or, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, the fader, I can't pronounce the other name, so I won't go into that. If there's like Merge, a mind. Merge, Merge yes, yeah. if there's a mind meld there, I don't know if that, because it didn't seem like that was characteristic of the Trollocs, because they kind of just hoarded in when they kind of broke down the door. They kind of came in twos and threes here and there, and they're kind of all over the place when they attacked the house, but now you have them as soldiers. So I'm mm-hmm. just wondering if there's a little bit something deeper to that as well. What I, off the top of my head, I can't think of specific examples, but there's other stories for more simple-minded creatures. You're not so smart creatures. They're they're susceptible and and easily uh, controlled. So uh, and, and of course we learn more about this a little bit later. Uh, we'll touch on it again, but yeah, that's I, I got that impression also that they were some sort of hive mind there was some sort of controlling of them and it goes back into the dark rider again his cloak not moving as the wind howls and also his other eerie about is when the dark rider comes running back the second time he makes no sound at all even the horse which i I just you know and it says he's galloping so it's not i mean uh you know obviously when he comes back it's not like he's trying to be quiet it's just that he is, and it's just that that's a kind of an eerie thing to me because if, if you've ever been around horses there there's nothing quiet about them walking past you i don't know maybe maybe these guys in the in the prologue we talked about the guy that shimmered and appeared so there there's an ability to maybe phase between times you know we we guessed on that uh but maybe these guys exist uh and are, are able to i don't know like phase shift um, and that's why, you know, the, the physical effects of this world, the wind, the making sound as they go by and whatnot, they have the ability to kind of circumvent those physics. I love how Ran in all of this still has hope because he's like <laughs> in his mind, he pictures Edmonds field shutters thrown back and the houses lit for winter night, people shouting greetings as they pass back and forth on their visits. And he goes into just this description of how awesome the town is during this time of the year like i don't know what where his mind was like you just your place was attacked and you're seeing like droves of these trollic and you think they literally just came for your little townhouse townhouse ha huh? <laughs> they came for your little uh farm outside of the town no Right. And then after that, we really go back into talking or his father talking, which are the things that are really right. interesting. Yeah. So that's just, you know, he starts talking about a lot of things right here. So 
um, when his father starts talking again, um, he talks about uh, Aventasora, um, which is uh, a tree where it says uh, that does not grow seed. Did not know you can even grow it, but that was given to, um, you know, obviously this, this guy Layman um, as a peace offering with the people, you know, these people never made peace with anybody, you know, and they made peace. You know, why do you have to, I think this is why do you have to cut it down? So it blood, the price for layman's pride, right. layman's pride is that that's the sin he pointed to. So these people brought over, I guess, this special tree or sapling of this tree for forum to make peace. And, and this would have been hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So it's probably an ancestor um, that then disgraces these people by cutting down the sacred thing. So, you know, that was, that was layman's sin. And how many people had to die because of your pride? Like, yeah, so anyway, we we don't really know what Tam's what's his involvement with this, but you know, obviously, uh, he's pretty bitter about all this. And he and, and if he was there, you know, um, which I think, you know, in what capacity? It's hard to tell. A fever dream, you know, what what exactly was going on? Uh, you're kind of painting some kind of picture. That is definitely true. But then we kind of get into, I think, some of what is Tam's actual thoughts because he goes into a monologue about battles which i think is where things get really 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 interesting and then it Mm kind of goes to where i have to say ian i think you were right (laughs) (laughs) oh it hurts me to say (laughs) i love you too man (laughs) because It says battles are always hot, even in the snow. Sweat, heat, blood, heat. Only death is cool. Slopes of the mountains, only place didn't stink of death. Had to get away from smell of it, sight of it. Heard a baby cry. So he is reliving a battle that he was a part of, which really begs the question, who the heck is Tam? Mm -hmm. Their women fight alongside the men sometimes but why they had let her come i don't gave birth there alone before she died of her wounds covered the child with her cloak but the wind blown the cloak away child blue with the cold should have been dead too crying there crying in the snow i couldn't just leave a child no child of our own always knew you wanted children i knew you'd take it to your heart kari Yes, last brand is a good name. A good name. There, that just kind of summarizes what we've been thinking about all along is what Ian has said, which is there's no relation between Rand and Tam. But then also that Rand comes from some type of warrior tribe. If you have the men and the women women fighting together. Like that's indicative of what the Germans used to do, the Germanic tribes, I should say, um, the Nordic tribes, like they allowed yeah. women to be a part of the warrior class. And there were times noted in history where even, you know, the women would be pregnant and go into battle. Here's just like indication that he comes from warrior stock. It's just what side of the war or is there a war that his people are from? Like, was this like a conquering people? Was it a warring people? Was it wartime? Mm-hmm. Like, 
now my mind is spinning with what is the real story behind Rand's heritage or is sure. there still his dad like in just this fevered nonsense I don't think that's true anymore but it could still be <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm holding on to a little bit of hope <laughs> yeah I made some assumptions here that um you know Tam uh fought on the side of of layman or at least defending his lands uh, from these attackers because of what layman did and then so when i got to the part where it said their women fight alongside the men uh and then we find out one of their women was pregnant and that's where in at least in this you know fever talk that's where Rand comes from but he says their women not our women mm-hmm. not not layman's women or anything like that but their women so Again, I'm assuming a little bit, but I took that as, all right, this was uh, a woman, a pregnant woman from the people that were fighting the enemy um, Yeah, that was pregnant, died, and, and he took this child. So that, my goodness, that just opens a whole can of worms on on the type of person Rand can be and that, uh, that nature side of him, the DNA that's in him and what that could be. Sure. Do you have any idea who these people are? These this these warriors they are fighting, or what they're called, or do you have any hints or ideas? No, I was going to ask you guys. I didn't. I, well, didn't, I, didn't really I mean, it's anything. just the, it's the strangers that they're trying to make peace with, mm-hmm. is what I would think. But sure. I, I didn't catch a name, and maybe I overread that. It, but it, I didn't it, think it, it, it didn't name a name. I just wanted to see if you guys had theories or anything like that. Because I mean, we've 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 passed over a bunch of different types of groups, and I'm not saying it's one of those groups. I'm just saying, like, I, I didn't I, I didn't know whether or not. It would well, I would, like I they keep going back to this alley man, A I E L man, I E L I E L I E L man, and mm-hmm. so like, I don't know enough about the different groups. I don't like. Sure. The green men or the ogre. Sure. The wild, they, they say a wild black veiled aisle man. And I, yeah. they, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. 50 That's times okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe it's that group of individuals would be my, my guess. Sure. But it's okay. clearly a guess. Yeah, he talks about the green man too in this chapter, where you know, because he uh, calls uh, uh, Evan Desor the, the, the plant, it's the tree of life. Uh, but why would they have it? The green man has it. Um, so you hear something about a green man, uh, but we have no idea what that is either. But um, in, in my mind, they're like mystical beings, the same way the children of the forest were in Martin's sure. book. In okay. my mind, Martin stole that concept because they used the term green. Well, no, they used green men to describe a different group in Martin's book, but still, okay, sure. I, I still have that same thought process that they're like magical children of the forest but sure <laughs> so i think at this point you know rand's completely stunned with what his father just said and you know and and like i think it it pitches it really well he says you know if a trolley walked to me right now like i i just i just let him kill me like I, he's like he's in that state of like complete stun of what his father has just said um it ends the chapter, of course, with the famous light, light, who am I? Um, I know you made a statement last time, like two of the chapters kind of go together and this chapter and the next flow mm-hmm. into each other really well. And I could see where, you know, as a reader, you would just want, well, why didn't they just continue this chapter into the next? But that, like you said, that light, who am I? That's a point to stop and really think about. Sure. 
because he's not he's asking a deep question like who is my father who is my mother where am i from like is this why i'm different like there's just so much that goes into it and it's like maybe this is why um lady moraine had an interest in him like all of a sudden all these questions came into my mind that you literally had to be pulled into the next chapter to even think about trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah, two days ago, we had it all figured out. Now, <laughs> now he has no idea. Right. All right. Um, anything else from this chapter before we move on to the next one? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna add a new theory that is totally wild, probably not true and even if it was this is some sort of plot twist that we wouldn't find out until like one of the last books but as i'm reading this and i'm and i'm thinking about all right ran uh tam's part of this big battle in some capacity yada 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 scoops up this baby um him and his wife decide to keep it name him ran and then we we talked about in how they decided to live in this town in the middle of nowhere that nobody ever goes to, and then he lives on the outskirts of the tan or the town. So Tam was like looking to hide him. Then we also have this concept of possibly being able to travel time or travel along the wheel or the uh, the wheel of time. What if Tam had like the power to hide Rand, not just in a different location, but in a, di- in a different time? Like oh. maybe this battle that he's referencing is actually hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and Tam had some ability to flash forward in the future with Rand and hide him in this town in the middle of nowhere. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not in the book, it should be. <laughs> We're going to write our own book. If it's not yeah. book. The alternate will of time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. might, and that might be actually what happens. Uh, we'll see. Who knows, man? Who knows? Um, I also want to put like Rand as some type of royalty or something now. That's probably way far fetched for this book, but like, okay, that 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 him being tucked away and hidden, and then that you know, well, we're gonna get into this. I won't go that far yet, but the idea of him being tucked away makes me think maybe he's got some type of royal importance or something. Okay, yeah, there's significance. All right. Maybe he's like the descendant of the dragon or something. Ooh. Oh. But but the dragon did kill all his kin. He was the kin slayer. So Yeah, but just because you just think you killed all your kin doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. you killed all of them. Sure, sure. Good point. All right. Uh so let's uh let's go ahead and move on then. All right, chapter seven, out of the woods. Once again, start with the symbol. This is a repeat one, so we finally get a, another repeat. Um, this is the the night tree again, uh, the the tree and the moon in the background. So similar symbol we've used before. I know we've already talked about this one. I don't know if you want to go in any further about what it might mean for this chapter, but I think it's pretty indicative of itself. <laughs> sure. I think so too. So rather than wasting a lot of time on that, let's just go ahead and start with what's going on here. So um, this starts now with Rand entering the village. So he's finally made it, and it's just complete despair. Like, I mean, it just starts with that just raw emotion of just realizing what's happened. As the, I think it just describes it gets closer. It's like, oh, the fires, you know, the, the, you feel the smell the chimneys. Wait, the air's getting wait, the smoke's way too thick. This is not just chimneys. And, and, and you can just feel this hope just drain out of them as the chapter starts going on. So we'll start there. 
Yeah. Um, again, I, I love the um, the fact that the author goes into the detail that he does because we mentioned or I mentioned how the shadows formed from the east. And then that point comes back into play um, when Rand is kind of going over events in his mind. He said Trollocs coming from the east from the direction of Edmund's field. Like that was the final realization for him that things went down elsewhere and that he was mm-hmm. being quite naive to think that he was going to get to the village and be safe. And he kind of had that moment of despair almost instantly. And they, they even said that hope turned to sharp despair. He staggered into the village. Charred piles of rubble stood in the place of half the houses of Edmondsfield. Soot-coated brick chimneys thrust it like dirty fingers from heaps of blackened timber. Thin wisps of smoke still rose from the ruins. Grimy-faced villagers, some yet in their night's clothes, poked through the ashes, here pulling free a crockpot, there simply prodding forlornly as the wreckage with a stick. Like That imagery is very, very real. It, it, it makes me feel like the author himself went through this. Like to have that depth of what it feels like to walk into this chaos of homes being burnt down is like sure hard (laughs) right yeah i think something happened and you and i may have flip-flopped a little from last episode because i i feel like i want to give rand like i don't want to call him uh naive here as far as not putting together where uh the trollocs on the road were coming from and realizing that you know obviously more likely they came from the town because at that point, not only was he exhausted, uh, Tam was injured, but he knew if he didn't make this journey, Tam was going to die. If he didn't do it just right and just quietly enough, they'd be found out he could die. So he was at that point stuck in survival mode. And, and when he was in that mode, he, he had, he had to find something to hope for. So maybe deep down, like he might've, realized or noticed where they were coming from but he at that point he just had to tell himself that there's hope in the town that's where i'm going to get saved it's going to be better because if not at that point as exhausted as he was he'd, he'd have just fallen out right right then and there so well, it kind think, of it's a way to survive and to make sure he lived like he you almost got to lie to yourself sometimes and that was a scenario he's like yep just make the village we're gonna be good but yeah. i think one of our um discord individuals kind of put it differently we grow up from such or we grew up in different ways and have such different perspectives and like i'm a very optimistic sounding person but i've lived a very pessimistic lifestyle because (laughs) (laughs) the things that i've gone through in life personally there's never much room for hope like i always just assume the worst and then if something did happen then it's like okay great i get to celebrate if the bad stuff does happen well i already expected that anyway so it is what it is <laughs> it definitely affects the way the way we look at it so mm-hmm. yeah so um you know at, at this point there's a lot of things that point you know uh, the blacksmith comes up uh, harold luhan and uh he grabs the back of the litter and, and says we need to find the wisdom uh you know naive and um and and kind of uh sees a Gwen run by and shouts for her and she comes over and, and Rand's obviously in shock. 
like just because he says, you know, starts recognizing odd details and, you know, just everything's kind of a fog and a haze. You know, he's just come out of the woods and it just, you know, it's that classic, uh, you're in shock, like shell shock almost. Like, I, I know we talked about saving private Ryan last week, but, you know, that, that D-Day scene, like when everything's like exploding, like people just kind of wandering around aimlessly on the beach. Like one guy's missing an arm, just kind of like, you know, like the, it, it pictures yeah. that chaotic scene where you're just complete you know you're standing there and bolts are flying past you you can't even move paralyzed because you're just literally in shock um your body's shutting down right yeah is is that i don't know if y'all bet in any sort of uh i don't know big accident or something like that where you get that adrenaline jolt like a a true like adrenaline rush superhuman like survival mode but when it wears off it's the exact opposite like you crash can't hold yourself up body shaking. I mean, just all sorts of craziness. So when you come down off of something like this, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is more than just the fog of war. Yeah. He's seeing it all and it, and it's chaotic, but physically he's drained more than just being awake for over a day and hiking through the woods. He's, he's getting ready to crash and just fall apart. I mean, the yeah. day before we were begging for these stories, we were begging for this news. And now it's like all the stories are real. Yeah, I love it. He's just like, all the stories are real, he muttered. Like this realization, this recognition is just settling in on him. Like we joked about it. We danced. We laughed. We listened to the stories. We enjoyed them. We knew it was about this harsh reality, but it was fake a few hours ago. Yeah, sure. And and unfortunately, he he still doesn't get time to process that like it hits him and he says it all the stories are real but boom he still has tam to think about uh and and so he's right back into okay i've got him here but now now we've got to get him to the wisdom now we've got to take care of him so he still can't fully process all this stuff sure and before we get to that you know harold luha talks about how uh trying to talk i think he's trying to talk rand up obviously talks about the battle and realized how bad how realizes how bad of a shape uh, Rand's in and, and you know starts talking about how his how his wife fought off the Trollocs owl spit fought off the Trollocs with a with a with a, with was a frying pan. Yeah. Grabbed the hammer and went to see if she could yeah. find some more in the woods. <laughs> right. I like yeah. That. yeah. And then uh you know it's it I said, you know, we're two rivers folk, you know, we'll pull ourselves back together and he kind of looked around, noticed everyone's already starting to rebuild and kind of, you know, get going again. And and you know, Harold says, you know, it's it sucks this happened. And he even says, you know, and if they come back, well, you know, the light protect us. And if they don't, you know, we'll protect ourselves. You know, it's, uh, he, it's, uh, he's trying to give Rand a pep talk, I think here. And then, and then that's that little scene before uh, Nynaeve comes over and then more despair. But yeah. When you get this realization, like um, that Rand is coming to, it's like at, he was still breathing, at least talking about, my father, quote unquote, the other was just fever talking. So his senses are coming back to him. He's starting to have some more of that hope because his father is still breathing. Sure. You know, he's like, okay, there's the fever talking. But then, of course, what interests me is what comes like right after that the will weaves as the will wills. So it, it just kind of speaks to no matter what we think, no matter what you think. And I say we, because now I'm like in the book and I'm one of the characters. <laughs> it's like, no matter what we think, no matter what we want, no matter what we want our reality to be, 
we have no control over it almost. So, and we'll definitely talk about that some, some later. Um, but, you know, we get to this next scene and Nynaeve shows up and she takes a two seconds look at Tam and says, can't help him. Um, and this is a typical triage moment, you know, when you have a combat medit or anything like that. And then and when you have a scene when it's after a battle and you have the, the, the combat medics, and Ian can probably talk to this more than I can because I'm not military, but I've read enough. Uh, and I was a history major in college and, and read enough about different battles and how that works uh, that, you know, obviously you're treating what you can treat. Uh, if, if you think you can save someone, uh, you're trying to, to kind of cut off. If there's no hope, just unfortunately that's what triage is. Is, is looking and, and, and deciding who lives and who dies based on your skill level and what's what's realistic. Um, to spend an hour on someone who has a, only a one percent worth worth of say worth of you know living versus you could have you know healed thirty other people, you let the one guy die. That's just typical battle triage. Yeah, and this one doesn't require military experience you're right uh it's it's simple math true uh, you have one and a half people that can that can treat the the wounded um and they know their resources she knows she knows what she knows she knows what she doesn't know so it's very simple for her to look at something like this and go all right maybe in a perfect world if he was my only patient and i had all these resources yeah, it might be worth it uh, but you know, she does the math real quick. She sizes it up. Uh, it's either too much time or I don't have the resources or it's, it's beyond my knowledge, but time to move on. And, uh, you know, there were, there was that little bit of back and forth. Uh, she understood the harsh reality of it, but she also knew that Rand, uh, probably wasn't going to be able to handle it. You know, this comments, I, br- I brought him to you as quickly as I could, like still in disbelief that she's not doing anything. And, sure. You know, her, her reassuring him it's not it's not his fault. Um, at the end of that, though, this might be slightly jumping topics. It's more of a question. I underline this line. She says, our troubles are just beginning, I'm afraid. And from her perspective, her giving that line, I don't know. I thought about this a lot. And Chris, maybe hopefully you spent some time thinking about it. I have no idea specifically what she means by that. I am right there with you. Like that is one of my favorite lines to kind of finalize things. Before we go that far, I'm going to ask the stupid question. Where are the prior wisdoms? Like that was the first thing that entered my mind. Mm-hmm. You've got this one young girl doing the work of a healer. Like where, where's the prior healers? Like how is this dissension of wisdom handed down? Like now my mind goes into the character development of what a wisdom is. Because clearly she's a healer. She's a medic. Uh, of sorts there's got to have been one before her to teach her what she knows like where is she at where is she at in this situation um but then to go (laughs) to go to that our troubles are just beginning i'm afraid um i think that it just talks to the severity of what occurred because everybody's still stunned right now people are poking around at the rubble the rubble but she you know she's had more interactions in the town so she knows more of the backstory because she's seen um, Lady Maureen and she's seen other individuals and their actions. And I don't want to go too far because we're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. I think she, she's seen a different part of the battle or she definitely has seen a different part of the battle than Rand had because Rand's really been running from the fight the whole time. Uh, instinctively, yes, but he's been running. 
Esra, she's been in the midst of it. She's seen the damage. She's seen the the carnage. She knows the people that are going to be buried. She she knows the emotional side of what's to come. Like right now, they're dealing with the right here, right now, physical. We need to get as many people in beds. We need to get treatments as many people as we can to hopefully help some of these people. But then on the flip side, we're going to be burying a lot of people. We're going to have mm-hmm. to rebuild and we don't have the supplies to do that. We don't have the food. We don't have the manpower. Like if she is a, the wisdom and she's as sharp as she's made out to be. And she's, you know, one of the women's council. She already knows the troubles that are happening in the town overall. She knows that the town could not suffer a big loss like this without having to probably up and leave. Like how are they going to rebuild? Good point. I mean, they're in the middle of this long winter. And I guess initially, I first read, our troubles are just beginning, I'm afraid. And I, you know, I'm like, okay, what does she mean? Like, just from a medical standpoint, like, what are we worried about? Infection, blah, blah, blah. You know, just silly quick thoughts. But then, like you said, she has a full understanding of, of how this town works. And yeah, this setback like this, when things were already so, so bad it doesn't matter if they get attacked again. Like this was enough. Like they're going to suffer. Sure. And, and not only that as well, but also you got to think about it. Rand doesn't know exactly what happened the night before. Now we find out by, you know, the end of this chapter or next chapter, I think it's actually this chapter. Mm-hmm. The other events yeah. that happened that Rand at this point has no idea of that stuff. And she could be talking about that too, you know, cause now everyone in the village knows, and, and we'll get to, to that part. What else is in the village with them? And that might also be what she's hinting to. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so, Bran goes to see the mayor because if Nynaeve won't help him, then Bran might. So, he's going to the inn, the innkeeper, and, um, and Pat and Fane's uh, wagon has been burnt to the ground uh, with no sign of Fane at all. And, and Tom's there, you know, fixing his cloak of burned uh, singe, singes and and jumps down and uh, helps Rand out and actually mentions, uh, you know, when he asks about Pat and Fane, um, uh, Tom mentions that uh, uh, what Trollocs do. Uh, some, you know, they'll eat anything. So um, do we think Pain, uh, Fane's been eaten? Uh, do, do you think this is significant? I mean, this is a little part, but just. Well, before we go that far, I want to just very quickly highlight the uh, reaction with uh, Egwene and, and Ram, that interaction. Oh, yes, yes. Um, because I think that's important. That just shows that there's some level of real caring and concern the way she embraces him and, and gives him some love in that moment of, of need. He was kind of mm-hmm. cold, but he was numb to what was going on. He just found out that his father has no chance in his mm-hmm. mind. And he's trying to work through next steps, which is then what leads us to what you're now talking about. Um, but I just wanted to put that interaction out there because I'm hoping that there will be some development in that relationship. And over 15 books, I'm sure it'll be a rocky one. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that means that there's a little bit more to that. Um, and then going on to to what you just asked, I hope that our friend hasn't been eaten. <laughs> your friend i didn't like the guy <laughs> so um and then you know they stop there because you look at the the door at the end and there's a, a symbol on the door and uh let me run with this let me run with this okay all right so, so 
So Chris <coughs> gave a shout out earlier uh, for something I got lucky on, uh, but I, I got to give him a little credit here. So it's it's a dragon's fang, uh, which those of y'all that have read before knew that was coming. I think he said dragon's claw. But that's daggone close enough. So <laughs> I, I award 10 points to Chris. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, when, when Chris pulled that one out, I was actually surprised myself because, oh, you know, being that I knew what it was, I was just like, wow, that's pretty close to exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so that was well done. Good. So, um, and they, they comment on this mark that, you know, um, that obviously it's, it's marking something evil and, and who must have, and, and we'll get to a little later about who drew it, but, um, um, you get to talk to Brand now. Brand is working and doesn't really realize who it is. Once he realizes it's Rand and Tam and, and realizes Tam's hurt, he springs into action, tells Tom to go get the wisdom before Rand can explain to Tom. He already talked to the wisdom um, and talks how Bella came in the night before. So Bella's alive. We get to know that, uh, that Bella did not die. <laughs> um, well, I love it. He said, perhaps the light hasn't abandoned, abandoned us yet. I was afraid you were both dead. Bella galloped sure. into the village an hour after the chalks left, uh, lathered and blowing as if she hadn't run all the way from the farm. And I thought, no time for that now. We'll take him upstairs. So clearly, everybody depends on Tam because it's like ran question mark like ah oh, it's you and then Tam oh yeah like <laughs> <laughs> sure and and I get the impression that Tam and Brand are really good friends too like they're they're oh, buds. Yeah. 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 So Tom comes back pretty quickly saying, you know, you guys didn't tell me that you already talked to her. She almost killed me. Huh? <laughs> Asking her to come see Tam again. Um, and then Tom just changes the subject. And I, I, I can just visualize this scene where Tom's just like turns to Brad and says, let's talk about the dragon fang on the door. And Rand just gives him a disgusted look like my father's died. And you want to talk about the symbol? Like, let's talk about what's important right now. Whereas I think Tom's just trying to change the subject. Cause obviously it's this really tense, awkward moment where like, okay, there's nothing we could do. We're out of, out of um, uh, options. But I also think that Tom's trying to do this on purpose to, to get brand to bring something up. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it, I think it's more him in his uh, creative way. Uh, trying to hint towards uh, the other guests at the house, which are at the inn, which is, you know, we're presuming that's why the, the sign was put on the door mm-hmm. um, with, uh, all right, pronounce her name for me again. Miriam. Moraine. Moraine. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That's an easy one. And I already messed it up. So yeah. uh, Moraine, if, so if it, if it came from the Gleeman as a suggestion, remember he's an outsider. So maybe Rand can't trust him. Um, and, and the Gleeman knows that. So that's why he's not going to be the one bringing it up, but he's, he's trying to, to prod the, the innkeeper there. Somebody mm-hmm. that ran trust to, to give it as an idea, a possible way forward. Sure. And so, so, you know, Brand obviously starts to talk about what happened that night, you know, how Len and Moraine came running out yelling Trollocs and, and everybody thought they just had to wish a drink. Like when he talked about Trollocs, they don't like exist. The next thing you know, they're on the streets and they're they're everywhere, hacking at people everywhere. And then all of a sudden, Moraine calls down bald lightning from the sky, um, <laughs> you know, and starts blowing up Trollocs all around him. It lands like a whirlwind with a sword, you know, faster than he's ever seen anything before. It's killing people everywhere. And and at this point, you know, he pretty much tells Rand that she's Aes Sedai. 
and Rand is just what? <laughs> I think it's just phenomenal the way he wrote it. The the man himself is a weapon, and in ten places at once, or so it seemed, burned me. But I still wouldn't believe it if I could couldn't step outside and see. Like it just goes to show that this that he's like a master swordsman, and that he is just like the ultimate killer. And then like Rand, who was aloof to the conversation, is starting to hear the keywords. And like he said, the eyes to die. She can't be. I talked to her. She isn't. She doesn't. Didn't you think they wore signs? The mayor said. I said, or did you think they wore signs? Like the mayor's like, what? Did you think it was obvious who she be? Did you think that they are going to go out and parading who they are? Which, you know, begs the question: like the eyes to die. Are they what? Are they? Are they what they once were? So, I'm gonna stop real fast. I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but I love how Robert Jordan does this. It's like, do you think they wear signs? And we talked about this last chapter, what she had on her hand. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, they do wear signs. You just don't know what the signs are. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. So, yeah. So, um, uh, I, just, I just think that is, that is just hilarious uh, that that he's just like, do you think there were signs and just kind of one of those nudges, like definitely Robert Jordan's writing that in a way where if you're perceptive enough, you pick it up right away, but it's just very, very I love funny. how he goes, the mayor goes, there's a chance, Rand, if you're willing to take it. I can't tell you to do it, and I don't know if you have the nerve uh, if it were me, or I don't know that I'd have the nerve if it were me. Mm-hmm. And clearly, as I said, I can heal Rand burn me lad you've heard the stories yeah, you've heard At the stories point, you don't know what stories are real and not you don't know what's true and what's false like we've got hope again right but everything's now coming true so now you know kind of you you kind of have to think if you're in ranch perspective none of this existed a couple of hours ago and now all of it's coming true it's like so why not why not this be true too like <laughs> And, and, and he's in a moment of desperation, too. I mean, what, what other choices he have? He's got to cling to something. And, and right before that, he, I mean, he flat out says it. A chance, Rand said, I'll take any chance if it'll help. Because, um, I mean, the, the option, you don't do that. You just what, you sit there with him, hold his hand, and wait for him to die. Like, I, I don't think anybody could really do that. If, if somebody said, you know, there, there's a way, you, you got to run with it. Mm-hmm. I do love the warning that the Gleeman gives, though. And I love how they switch back and forth between his name and his title. They sure. being the author. Like, in this quote, he's not, you know, he's listed as the Gleeman. He's like, I Sedai do what they do for reasons of their own, and they aren't always the reasons others think. And you know, Rand really has to give some thought to his interactions with Lady Moraine or Moraine Sedai, now that we know what she is. <laughs> From the very moment he met her, starting with the coin, working all the way up to the inevitable, he's about to ask her to give his father life again, which in any fantasy novel that you'll ever read, when somebody gives life to somebody else, a life is owed in some way. Sure. And that's a huge debt to collect on. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's always a balance. Sure. Yeah. So, 
So Rand leaves the inn now and goes and looks for Morvan and Len, finds them across the bridge. They're by these bonfires where they're burning the bodies of Trollocs. Um, and Land's going around collecting badges. And he names one of them. He says, this is Cobalt. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's one of seven that bands that attacked him or, or yeah, whatever he calls them. I think they call them bands. You know, one of seven clans or, or you know, Cobalt is this clan. And I don't know if you guys caught that what or, or know what COBOL is, um, the way it's spelt, um, and what it is in our time. So uh, um, COBOL is um, is actually uh, you know in in some stories a demon, um, in, in Christianity he's actually um, the demon of dark humor. Um, oh. So I didn't know that one. Yeah, so it's it's uh, the way it's it, if you. But look it up Google. It's K O apostrophe B A L is the way it's spelled in today's terms. I'm not sure how they spelled the book. Exactly but, um, the same. Exactly the same. Okay, yeah. So if you look it up on Google, you can look up about the demon of the of dark humor. So he's uh, pretty cool. Um, and and you might pay attention when they start uh, not this chapter, but later maybe we might find some more names of these different one of seven. So uh, uh, just something to keep in mind for the future. It's kind of cool trivia fact. <laughs> well, it definitely isn't like he, you're right. He definitely makes a, a big point of the fact seven bands, seven that many have not acted together since the Trolloc Wars. Bad news piles on bad news. I'm afraid, Lan. I thought we had gained a march, but we may be further behind than ever. That's coming for, from Lady Moraine, I'm assuming, or Moraine Sae, or I can't pronounce it. I'm already losing it, but hey. I Sae. I Sae. Sae. It's Eyes Sae. Yeah. So Moraine Sae. Mm-hmm. You know, that, it surprises her. She's talking about Trolloc Wars, which is, you know, not the first time that was referenced, but now we know that this is a real thing. It's not just a story. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we're really going to get into the stuff now. <laughs> Let's remember our warning from the Gleeman about uh, Lady Moran here, Moran Sedai. Um, as she's having this conversation with Lan, Rand is in earshot. So let's assume that she knows Rand's in earshot. So now I question myself, are they actually surprised that there's seven different groups of Trollocs working together? Or are they having this conversation to make Rand think they are surprised to find this out? You know, so I, I, I don't want to be like overly suspicious of this lady, but I, you know, I just can't help it. Sure. And it's also strange because when Moraine turns and looks at Rand, the first thing she asks is not obviously Rand's, Rand's probably has a face of distress, you know, and and it's coming there for a reason. And before Rand can even speak, she looks and looks at him and says, "How were your dreams?" And he's just taken back, like, "What?" <laughs> like, yeah, that was weird. That was weird. <laughs> so um, I don't know if you guys caught that or thought of that or wanted to look, you know, have theories about that. I I caught it and I was just I was just like I don't I don't quite know what she's thinking. I mean, first my thoughts went to the the prior description of her now that he knows what she is. Her face was tired, but her dark eyes were a hawk's eyes. Eyes to die, breaker of the world, puppet. So he 
his vision, his image of her has changed. And then she asks that question. And I'm like, what does, what does she know that he doesn't? What was this expectation? Did she think he had actually been to sleep before attacked? And now he's got this revelation that he was supposed to have. So I'm kind of like on the same like boat as Ian on one side. Like I'm kind of like one foot in, one foot out of the boat here. Like maybe this is a setup. Maybe she needed some things to happen. Maybe some people were, you know, some Trollocs dying and some people dying were just part of her master plan here and then the other side was well they killed a lot of these Trollocs and they were clearly you know overpowered and you know they're not with the dark one and the Trollocs are so and and we kind of learned this already so it's like what is the play I don't know and the fact that Mm -hmm. she uses this full name that's just interesting way of stating it it's like she has this foresight or this vision she knows more than what she's supposed to and then she says a night like that can give a man bad dreams ran if you have nightmares you must tell me of it i can help with bad dreams sometimes so it's like she can um i don't want to use the word prophesy but she can um essentially tell people what their dreams are about possibly yeah, I also I got the feeling that she was just being impatient with Rand's development and that she knows something about Rand that obviously Rand doesn't even know yet. And one of these things are that Rand is potentially this chosen one, this significant person, uh, and that something important is going to come out of uh, his dreams or he's going to be given visions and she's just kind of getting impatient with it. That's why it just seems so out of the blue and out of the place. Um, I, I, you know, I skipped over it and I thought it was odd, but thought to myself, all right, we're probably going to come back to that. And at some point, Rand is probably going to start having dreams or visions that are going to be significant. And by doing this at this time, when they're still, you know, kind of buddy, buddy, she's uh, getting ready to do this favor for him. She's, she's planting a seed also. So when it does end up happening, if it does, I'll say when, because I feel pretty confident about it. You know, Rand's first thought is going to be, uh, holy cow, I'm, I'm tripping balls. I'm having these visions. I need to go talk to Lady Moran because she said she can help me with it. So, I love, we will speak of prices later, Rand, if at all. I can make no promises. Your wisdom knows what she is about, which is probably the first time that the wisdom has been given her props by Lady Moran. Sure. And then... I will do what I can, but it's beyond my power to stop the wheel from turning out. The the capitalization of the wheel, the wheel is very important. Mm -hmm. And we haven't really learned as much about the wheel as I think we are going to. And it almost, the way they keep capitalizing the W, it almost makes it seem like it's an actual thing, not just like a, a belief or just a falsity, but maybe there is like this, beyond the power maybe there's a physical like personification of the wheel or maybe there's like like a physical there's a physicalness to the wheel i don't know there's i keep having these thoughts like maybe there's more to it than just the meta aspect of it sure yeah so obviously moraine you just hinted to this she's she's amused by you know rand says whatever the cost i just need tam healed 
and, and it amuses Moraine. You know, she's like, "Oh, whatever the cost, we'll talk of prices later." But <laughs> like, yeah, and she and I, I just I feel like she knows what that price is going to be. She's setting them up, but yeah. And, and also, I love a line you kind of uh, almost got there, I think. But um, um, Land chimes in, says, "You know, death comes to everyone unless you mm-hmm. surf the dark, unless you surf the dark one." And and then it says something, but only fools are willing to pay that price. Yeah. So. I need to figure out what a warder is. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, you know, they, and, they, and they talk about it a little bit. You know, uh, Aes Sedai and warders are part of every story. Um, and I think they say that, you know, it, but um, they, don't, they don't get too much into it um, yet. But there. Yeah, I'm like in my mind, I'm like with that title, they're not calling him a swordman. They're not calling him like a – they're calling him a warder. So it almost makes me feel like there's a combination of like magic and like maybe it's a battle mage or something to that effect. Sure. Like they say the way they described his movement on the battlefield and his ability to kill, I maybe he is an individual that's used, able to use battle magic. He's able to manipulate symbols and, and spells in conjunction with swords to um, enhance the speed, enhance the strength to, I don't know. I'm thinking along the lines of my history of reading sure. other things and playing games and things. So now my mind's spinning. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, and Moraine says, you know, uh, and another interesting cryptic line that, you know, after I think Rand's not an earshot, or maybe he is, I can't remember, but um, he, uh, Moraine turns to Len and says, it says, at least we have at least one reason to celebrate a little light light in the darkness that Rand's still alive. So thought that was interesting as well, if not cryptic. Um, and then she brings up also an Angriel and that's pronounced Angriel. Um, uh, and, and Rand's heard of these from the stories and she says it helps, you know, with using the power and we end the chapter with everyone going back to the inn to try to heal uh, Tam. Any thoughts on this chapter or anything else you guys want to bring up and talk about? Or He was committed now. Anything for you, Chris? Or... No, okay. I think we're good. Okay. All right. So this is the first time we're going into three chapters in one night. So we're going straight into chapter eight, uh, Place of Safety. Um, and now we get a new symbol as well. So uh, do you guys know what the symbol is? Looks like a staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I credit it to Moran's staff. So it explains that, you know, I think in the previous chapter when he first walked up, explained that she had a staff that looked like it was, he, he does a good job, of course, explaining what it looks like because he describes everything in detail. Which is what I really like about um, Rand as a person. He is very detail-oriented, even though there's the small, minute details that don't seem to really matter. Sure. He does observe everything, which I really like. Sure. I appreciate yeah, and that's and that's actually one of the, the the biggest praises from Robert Jordan for Robert Jordan as a writer, and also one one of his biggest critiques because it's it's whether or not you like it or not. So some people actually d- d- hate description, like they, they just want action and they don't you know they want to go go go. They don't want to be bogged down by painting a picture. And there's some people like myself that actually do enjoy the the you know describing things and and being able to really vividly see what's happening. I like that way, but some people complain that Robert Jordan writes too much because he describes too much. I'm like, ah, descriptions always good. <laughs> I don't mind a 700 page book if it's well written. <laughs> exactly. 
All right, so I'm gonna get going right into the chapter. So we start with Moraine. He's in the, in the she's in the she's in the room with Tam, looking at him. Um, you know, obviously, Land right away is talking about how he doesn't like Tom. Um, I think he mentioned something about that. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, he said so, I don't like that man. There's something about him I don't trust. I did not see a hair of him last night. Yeah, so what do you think about that? I mean, Rand obviously comes to his defense saying, you know, well, he had burn marks. You know, or I think it was Brand, not Rand. The, the innkeeper said, you know, you didn't get that from standing too close to the fire. Um, and, and I think Rand says, I don't care if Tom was hiding in the stable. But <laughs> I think there's a general distrust between the two groups because Tom gave Moraine a look. And he was like, all right, I'm out. It's like a man can't even smoke in peace. Mm-hmm. He's it, just ready to yeah. go. <laughs> it, 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 oh, and beforehand, we, we, we know from talking to Tom before, or from, from previous chapters, that Tom does not like Aes Sedai. I mean, he even said that when the, he said, you know, I make a purpose of, of staying as far away from them as possible. Um, you know, we talked about that a few episodes ago. So um, yeah, this is not new. Tom, it, and it goes back to that first interaction too, when Tom when Moraine came out, Tom just stopped. Um, I, I think this is all kind of obviously it, this is short foreshadowing, but there's a lot of things in the previous chapters that points to all this. Yeah, I feel like there's some history that he's afraid is going to catch up to him. Maybe he he cut a deal. Maybe he made a deal that he's running from. I sure. mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he reneged on a deal. Maybe he, maybe he's a, an agent in disguise. I mean, you just don't know. Sure. Yeah, I when I read that last little bit from Land, I did not see a hair of him last night. Um, that, I mean, the intent behind a, a line like that is to discredit him. And Alan, you know, you touched on it. Uh, Tom has already expressed his distrust of Aes Sedai, and. Well, Coming up very soon, um, Moran and and Land as a team, they're going to try and get Rand and these other boys to, you know, join along with them. So they need them to trust them. So th- that line is it's really I just read it as a, an overt attempt to create distrust from the Gleeman because the Gleeman, uh, he's he's going to try and give warning and make them hesitate and and you know maybe rethink. Um, sure going along this quest so it was it was intentional you know just plant planting a seed of distrust sure do you think a, the gleeman has intentions or a plan or it just happens to be here so, <laughs> so, so far happenstance like i i have no reason to believe that he's good or evil or, or that he has his own plan or plot he seems rather neutral he i mean he has his opinions but like I mentioned before, he's, he just seems like he's been in a position to observe and, and that's where he gets his stories from. Uh, but his observation and his belief so far towards Aes Sedai is can't trust him. You don't you don't ever know what their actual intent is. And they're probably 10 steps ahead of you when when you're having a conversation with them, you know, so. Sure. Land trying to spoil that a little bit. So, you know, moving on to the next scene, Moraine. Moraine orders Bran out of the room and, and, and Rand wants to stay. I mean, there's a little interaction there where Rand's kind of disbelief that she would order the innkeeper out of his own end. Um, but, you know, um, and, and 
Bran try to, tries to get Rand to come with him, and Rand says, my father can I stay? And Moraine says, sure, just go over there. I need to do this. Um, and then they start talking about the one power, too. A little bit of talk about that. So, well, I think the mayor may know more than uh, than he lets on because that whole comment says, please, I'll keep out of your way. This is Rand talking. You won't even know I'm here. He's my father, he added with a fierceness that startled him and widened the mayor's eyes in surprise. Mm-hmm. Rand hoped the others put it down to tiredness or the strain of dealing with the Sedai. So I think, you know, because of the relationship that the innkeeper has with Tam, the innkeeper knows that he's not really Rand's father. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, so the mayor leaves the that next chat, you know, goes goes into the stories about Aes Sedai, you know, the power, the one power that draws the true source. So yeah. Um, you said well, that was exactly what I was gonna talk about because like that's a, a really good direct quote, but they talk about how there's almost like theatrics that come along with it. But Rand is or yeah, Rand is watching and he's like, I can't quite tell if she's doing anything at all. Like what the heck is happening here? So mm-hmm. like maybe some misconceptions of what the eyes that I really are, how their power really works. Um, you know, and it's like, what, what is she doing? Like, she's clearly focused. Is she seeing something? Is she in another plane? Is she in another dimension? Like, is she like mentally moved to a different state where she's working on Tam? Maybe I'm overthinking this because that's what Chris does. <laughs> Uh, but while she's focusing so intently on his father i like how lan kind of goes to the sword yes so so lan really comments on the sources there wouldn't happen to be a heron mark on that blade is there boy or something like that lad and and i love how you know this whole entire interaction here so i'd not have thought to find a heron mark sword in a place like this so clearly this isn't just some sword, but it has distinction amongst warriors. And, you know, he just kind of dismissed it. It belongs to my dad. It's kind of like the reaction. He brought it here a long time ago. It's a strange thing for a shepherd's, a shepherd, sheep herder to buy. Having a hard night, time talking tonight. <laughs> yeah. But I love it. He said, there are places where the heron is a symbol of the master swordsman. That blade must have traveled a strange road to end up with a sheep herder in the two rivers. Yeah, th- this whole exchange in last chapter and this chapter, um, I just I got the feeling the author the author was trying to give us this this awkwardness. Um, I, I'm convinced that Lan and um, Moran know still way more than they're letting on. Land's asking these questions, not so much to get information, you know, directly linked to those questions, but trying to see what Rand has put together so far on his own, like getting him to think about it and, and see what his thoughts are. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, strange thing for a sheep herder to buy, trying to see what Rand's reaction might be to that. Sure. Uh, Rand, Rand said that, his, uh, what was it, his dad thought it was useless or something. Mm-hmm. And Land comes back, he called it useless, did he? He must not have always thought so. Like yeah. he's just kind of prodding him to, to sure. think beyond uh, this reality that he thought he knew. So, so this goes back to the question I asked last uh, last episode. 
How do you really think Tam got this sword? <laughs> well, Why so not? obviously he existed hundreds of years ago <laughs> and was some super badass, like, if not a warrior, maybe a Gandalf type wizard guy, because he has to be able to time travel, according to my theory. Was part of this battle, scooped it up, traveled it in the future, and then hit ran. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you could just, you could just delete all of that because that is nonsense. <laughs> no, that's gotta be in. Yeah, that's, pretty cool. <laughs> that's, gonna, that's gonna be the title of the final book. Like, oh my god! <laughs> all right, Chris. Oh, I think this is a heritage piece. Okay, I think maybe he is descendant of you know a clan of master swordsmen maybe he himself what is or was some type of master swordsman or like again grandfather's grandfather or something or father's father that would be grandfather whatever Mm -hmm. like maybe somewhere down the line like he was or, or is the the descendant of great sword fighters Sure. Maybe he's mixing stories he's heard with things that he witnessed. I don't like time travel really does stick in my mind the same way it does with Ian because there seems like there's so many inconsistencies at the same time. I could see maybe there being, you know, a story of a war in his mind getting mixed up with what actually has happened because he is in this fevered state. I mean, I'm hoping mm-hmm. he'll come out of it and we'll learn more about it, but it sounds like um, that may or may not happen. Um, but just so many questions. <laughs> sure. So, you know, next thing Rand starts doing is, is is just rambling on about the Dark Rider and, you know, to the point it's like word vomit. And, um, and you know, they kind of, Land kind of stops them and, and, and because he asked him if I had warned you guys, would it have made a dis- difference? And, um, and, and, and land starts getting kind of harsh and Ray cuts him off, you know, his whole entire scene. And, um, and you kind of learn that there's there, that, that, that obviously there is Mergel here. There's, I think a hundred Trollocs is what they said. And then the Raven, I should have known from the Ravens, um, you know, and, and, and Rand kind of perks up and says, Ravens carrion eaters, eyes of the dark one. So we talked a little about that a couple of, ch- you know, a while ago, you know, had the chapter with the Ravens and eyes, you know, eyes of Odin and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I still think she's manipulating him um, in a good way and in a bad way. So one Rand starts to ask questions and it's obvious he's starting to feel guilty. He's like, oh, my gosh, if I'd have spoken up sooner, could we have done something? And, you know, both Lane and Rand are trying to reassure him like, man, look, with w- what we got hit with we would have needed a, a lot more of us to fight that off. So in that amount of time now, nah, wouldn't have made a difference. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he doesn't want to have the boy thinking he's the blame for it. And then the, when she brings up the Ravens and, Oh, I should have noticed too with the Ravens and how, how awkward they were acting it, again, she's trying to, I'm convinced she's not surprised about any of this. I have I, I can't really point to anything that we've read so far, but that's just the impression I get. And yet she's trying to act just as surprised. So she she's trying to get on the level with Rand. Um if if she were to if she were to reveal like, you know, she had knowledge or or at least a, a good guess that all of this was gonna unfold this way, 
Rand would just trust her less. She, she's trying to get his confidence and and kind of take the blame, like, oh, she should have known better. But she, she does know better. She knows what's going on. Yeah, because she even says, not yet. I hope it is only <clears throat> not yet. Speaking in regards to whether or not his father will come back and come out of this holy. And she says the Trollic weapons are made at forges in the valley called uh, Thankandar. Yeah, that's pretty close. On the very yeah. slopes of uh, Shalgul itself. So she knows how the weapons were created. Uh, she talks so about the taint yeah. of the place and how it stains the metal of evil. Like sure. She knows a lot of history about the weapons. Why would you not know about the creatures themselves in, in better detail? And Sure. Agreed. And Shao Ghul was actually mentioned in the prologue. That's where the prison of the dark one is. So yep. th- these these um so that that's not a place that's new. That was in the prologue. Um, so these weapons are actually made right next to where the dark ones. So like they actually have the taint or or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the, you know, the, it, they're corrupted by evil, which is the same taint that the dragon had, right? Am I getting yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and, and, and you're getting, you know, they talked about the, the Dark One's counterstroke and things like that, and how all the men went mad. Um, and then we've talked about again how men, if men try to use the power, they go mad. So there, there's definitely parallels that are you're catching on to. That. Um, and then we t- she describes her Angriel as well. The next scene, um, uh, it's a relic, and she says it's, it's, these are relics from the Age of Legends. So I just wanted to point that out as well. Um, let's talk about ages. So obviously, there's something called the Age of Legends. Yes, yeah, as we have lost the making of these, so much is lost. Perhaps, perhaps, never to be found again. So it's just really interesting how the words that that the author is using to kind of keep us thinking. Like in my mind, does she hope to maybe? Maybe she's hoping to rediscover how to how to create these things and how to do other magics that were lost or is, is she on a quest of some sort to find magics that were lost or mm-hmm. like, again, is this concept of time travel going to be something that is an actuality and maybe she hopes to go back in time and learn some of the, the lost arts of prior times. There's just so many, so many things sure. going on here. <laughs> yeah. It, it could just be, could just be a hint that, um, and maybe she knows this, maybe she doesn't. Could just be a hint that we're at the end of this age. Um, I mean, something so significant with such power, you know, they're, they're not able to create anymore. Um, and what they have left is, you know, supplies running low. It's affecting this running low. It's, it's just kind of pointing to this culmination that we're, we're at the end of this age and something's going to mm-hmm. give. So after after this whole exchange about the, ang- the angry old, um they start talking about Mergel again and they get this is where you get a description of Mergel because uh, Rand you know obviously has this fairy tale uh, you know myth description and 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 lands and land who's obviously dealt with them before says no that's 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 just what they tell kids that's not really what they look like but he starts to ex- you know explain some pretty scary stuff you know says they are Trolloc spawn that's one thing um you know it does mention that so they uh, but they're that when they sometimes come out looking more human they they, they make a merdral rather than a trollic so they're less less beast-like and more human but they're also eyeless 
So it, uh, you know, I, I think of like, I can't remember what horror movie it is, but there's like, maybe it's, is it Silent Hill that has like the like eyeless monsters? It's a funny fact about Chris, yeah. who is 6'6 six, six and 330. He does not watch horror movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, 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 people might might correct me and get mad at me. I don't know which horror movie, but there's there's horror movies where they have like we're just skin there, and it's you know um, anything described as that would be it's it's a freaky. But they have, but he also says they have vision of like a hawk, but they have no eyes. So just so, you know, how do they see? It doesn't really explain that, but it's just very very kind of. A, would be a scary looking thing. Um, um, you know, I go back to something called the uncanny Valley. Um, I don't think I mentioned that last time I was going to, and I forgot to, but um, have you guys ever heard of that concept? No. Um, okay. So the uncanny Valley. Um, so it's what makes things creepy to us. It's a really cool concept where they can actually draw out a graph. So if something looks completely not human, it just looks funny. It's not scary at all. It just it's just funny if it just doesn't look human at all. And then on the other side, if it looks perfectly like human, it doesn't freak us out at all either because you can't tell the difference. So, but then there's this valley in between where something's almost human but not quite. There's something's off, like they're missing eyes or or something like a like a clown or a doll or something like that. It's it's called the uncanny valley where it's close enough, but just freaky enough that it just really just gives the creeps to almost the average human has an experience with these things because their mind cannot process it because it's, it's too close, but it's not close enough. If that makes sense. So, um, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. It, it, it it's actually a term called the uncanny valley where it's, it's not, it's it, the characteristics are almost there. And it, it gives everything. That it, it's one of the scariest things that can be described. So, yeah. Yeah, I dated a girl like that once. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just dating. <laughs> and there goes half our listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, right. <laughs> a little comic relief. <laughs> so, anyway. Somebody, somebody help me. The, the term dreadlords have come up twice now in this description. Sure. Have so, we talked about the Dreadlords yet? We have it. Um, we can if you want. I mean, I'm not going to give anything away, but you can tell what you think about them <laughs> so far. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly we have like a, a hierarchy here. Yeah. So we've got our Trollocs and are, then we've got are, our Fade. Sorry. Right. Yeah. So the Trollocs are led by Merdral or, or Fade or Half Men or the Eyeless, whatever you want to call them. But then, yeah, the, yeah. the, the Dreadlords lead are right above that Mm -hmm. and they're the creators i guess and then then you have the forsaken which we've had as well so which so we're getting this this nice little hierarchy here which i now now my mind shifts to like lord of the rings and and the creation of the creatures there so (laughs) under mount mortar So the the dreadlords then are kind of like your middle management. They don't deal directly with the customer, but you know, they're, they're, they're the people person. You know, <laughs> I'm a people person. Damn it! Um, <laughs> what do you not understand about that? Yeah. Um. So yeah. So then um. You know, and Rand kind of stumbles and says, "Well, you know, one of them talked to me," and and Lana Bailey stops. He goes. They did what? They talked to you? Like, Trollocs can't talk. Um, 
you know, and he said, yeah, they, he asked me to, you know, wait for the merge roll. And then I, I kind of accidentally killed him. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that was, was kind of, and that's an interesting little thing as well. And um, that just a side note, I don't know if you have thoughts about it, but uh, Lance obviously surprised one that he even killed one to uh, that, 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 that the, the Trolloc talked. Yeah, definitely a point of significance. You know, uh, Lance got more experience or knowledge about these things and, of all the encounters he may have had or heard about uh, his reaction there tells you this, this doesn't really happen. Um, and, and maybe it has to do more with how the Trollocs are typically used. They, they're, they're more like a blunt force, you know, object. You, you, you throw them at people and uh, they're about destruction and whatnot. But in this, uh, these chapters they're used more as a a group of hunters that are going after this specific target uh and controlled by the midreal is that how we're saying it mergeal mergeal yeah so th- this is this is a way that a trollic's been manipulated and used that are, hasn't hasn't been used before i guess so sure well and then we have her finishing her work and you can right. tell she's clearly drained. So she's put a lot into healing Tam. So she really is working to gain Ran as a either to have his favor or to really gain his trust. And mm-hmm. you know that we know that this magic puts a toll on your life. So That's for right. her to do that means that she's willing to go way out of the way for whatever her cause is we still haven't learned that yet but we're getting to at least part of that cause um i think we should maybe move to that direction because i think that part becomes really interesting yeah and then moraine says you know obviously after she's done that you know we have to leave the two rivers and you have to come with us and Rand starts freaking out. He's like, "What do you mean leave? I mean, no one, no one leaves. You know, this is where, where would we go? <laughs> yeah, where, where would we go?" And 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 Land explains. He said, it, "You know, you know, boy, this was obviously a, a plan, a targeted attack. Um, I know it looks random to everyone else, but look at whose houses were were burned. Uh, look at whose farms were attacked. It's a very, very precise. And he starts to paint a picture that really it's just Rand, Matt, and Perrin's families, and, and the forge where Perrin works." So like it's um, and then a few torches houses are torched, you know, to add distraction. But no, but no one was attacked, or you know, physically they didn't enter those houses. They just threw some torches into them. Um. <laughs> yeah, this is all part of the setup. Um, like I said, I I, I feel like Lan and Moran kind of knew it would come to this point. They needed to try and get them to to leave town and go with them for whatever their purposes are. So they've been building that trust. They've been casting doubt on people like the Gleeman that might make Rand question whether or not he should trust them. And, and now they're hitting them with the, the cold, hard facts. Like look around, clearly they were coming after you and then tug on the guilt strings. Well, you don't want them to come back to this town again. If you love these people, you, you got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they, he, they said, well, can't you just call some of your you know other people and come help? And just, she says, perhaps, but they're going to call all their forces too. And this is going to be ground central for a giant battle. And do you really want that either? Like, I mean, we might be able to win, but at what cost? Um, yeah. I mean, 
there's not gonna be much left if that's the if that's the the no man's land you think about war one concepts you know right there it's yeah you're yeah, if there's going to be a battle, let's take it away from the people you love. So, yeah. And there may be some truth to what she's saying. I, I don't, I don't know. One of these days, I'm going to meet a new character and remain optimistic about them. But so, <laughs> so far, I'm, no, just, I'm very, I'm very uneasy. <laughs> and uh, Moraine hasn't won me over yet. Sure. So I'm still skeptical. Yeah, she <laughs> uses that Socratic method of communication to really lead him to the idea of, uh, that's why I have to leave, isn't it? The Trollocs won't come back if I am not here. A last trace yeah. of obstinacy made him add, if they really are after me. So he still is just slightly hesitant, but he's already bought into this idea, like, I gotta yeah. go. Logically, he painted him into a corner. He had that dilemma. It's, you know, either either sure. I admit that I don't care about these people and I'm going to stay and everybody suffer with me, or... I go and save them all or protect them. Yeah. And Marie's definitely using word jujitsu, as I call it, you know, where she's just churning words different ways. That's, that's very, very obvious. This has happened throughout the entire interaction. I wrote down is why do you think the dark one wants them? Um, and how did the Trollocs get there? Uh, think about the distance as well. If the Trollocs came from the blight, which is all the way in the North, or allegory for Canada, <laughs> as we call it. Um, it's all the way in the north. And um, and if you think about this map, like I said, the size of the United States, that's, that's a long ways to move a force that large unnoticed. And that's kind of the point Land brings out. Like, how did they get down here this far south with no one noticing? Because you know, it's a small force, but still – these things are like beasts. They got to eat a whole lot. So you think that someone noticed like massive amounts of livestock missing and, you know, yeah. um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, towns might have something called a wolf or bear problem when they're not actually seeing wolves or bears, but also livestock starts dying. Remember the beginning of the book? <laughs> I'm just trying to just envision. And maybe it's time to go back to the map, but like you got the, the blight like, how does it all connect? Is there a point where they could have gone through the mountains and then come back through? Like the mountains that nobody goes through the Mist Mountains, or I want to confuse the words, but like I'm going to have to really go back and study that map again and really kind of think of different ways that it's possible because they would have to have passed through a lot of different areas. They would have to have been noticed unless there is a lot of chaos going on all around and you know Edmund's field is kind of like the last mm-hmm. stop for them but I think sure. if you look at the map it's possible that they could have gone through the mountains to get there sure yeah it's possible so um, anyway go, moving, moving forward again you know Rand brings up well we can just go to Camelin um, you know, it's a big city. I've always kind of dreamed of seeing the big city and, and land immediately says, no, the walls are not any safety for, for fades. Uh, that, that, that's not a good idea, but there is a place of safety. I think Moraine brings it up. It's Tarvalon, but no, Tar- Tarvalon, which is basically the headquarters of the Aes Sedai, that city. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And, and she knows he's looking for answers in all of this. So, 
just ah. dangling the carrot a little bit more and be like, look, if, if anybody's going to have answers to your question, that that's where it's going to be. You know, that's, that's where all the smart people are. The, the folks like me, more people like me that can figure this out for you sort of thing. Sure. And, yep. and then, and then they say you have to leave tonight and, he obviously, you know, what tonight? Like it's everything's surprising to me at this point. Like he's just so he, he's he's in state of shock throughout this entire two chapters. You know, whether it's co- from coming to the village to this point, everything that's said, he's just like what, what? So I mean, on a personal note, uh, as I'm reading this, and y'all could probably tell, like in this chapter especially, I've I've trailed off because all the detail before was very interesting to me. But once I kind of understood or thin sliced the plot line here and and what Moran was trying to accomplish, I, I'm like I'm like, all right, we know he's going. Moran's gonna cave. I mean, he can't think for himself. He's gonna get manipulated into this, and and for whatever he has good reasons for making this decision, but he's gonna go. So just let's move on. Pack your stuff sure. up. Let's roll. Stop fighting it. You know, so I guess I guess I've gotten impatient. I'm ready for the plot line to move forward. Sure. Yeah. And, and it does I'm it, myself a little bit. It does it does drag on a little bit uh, towards the end of these chapters where where uh, the storyline kind of fades. You just had all this action in chapter five, and these three, you know, it seems like it's gonna continue on, then it kind of just you know, we Yeah, I'm we're, coming we're, off the high end. We're, we're learning a lot, but it's not there's no action going on right now at all. Sure. So, for sure. Uh, um so yeah, so Rand's told the rest. You know, the innkeeper comes in, and and Rand asks, you know, what houses were attacked, and uh, and and the innkeeper confirms what you know what Rand said was true. Um, it it does seem like it was a targeted attack, um, and uh, you know, so so Rand knows he has to leave at this point. Um, see, she's and, got like a renewed sense of purpose and a renewed strength. Here's a woman that went from healing his father to running into the streets to find these other two boys like she's mm-hmm. got one on the hook now she can hook the others like rand is going sure. you guys should go too like right it's all coming together it is so, all coming together you know the greatest rand- adventure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the chapter ends because rand wants to talk to his dad about this and he's gonna fight sleep and it, it obviously the chapter ends with him fading fading to sleep because he, he's so tired at this point you know that, that's how the, that's how it ends um and my mind goes all right will he start to dream now yeah well we find oh, out man. we find out next time um so next time we're going to be covering uh chapters nine and ten which are um tell is it telling of the wheel i don't know um, i see a dragon's fang <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, telling tellings of the wheel and uh and leave taking so um tellings of the wheel is actually one of my favorite chapters um and i'm going to say that a lot because i like all the chapters but um uh, i'm a big history buff so guys are gonna love the history in this one so get some history um, i'm excited even if it's fantasy history <laughs> but, but still it's really exciting the best kind. So um, that's what we covered next week. Um, anything you guys want to add about these chapters before we kind of wrap up? No, not necessarily. I just, I, I am excited to continue on and hopefully get a dream and hopefully start the actual adventure here. Um, yeah, I want to know who else is going to go along like Egwene. I think she's going to jump on board and I don't think the wisdom is going to let her, her people leave without, you know, trailing behind or without a battle. So I'm like, 
I'm wondering how the rest of the villagers, those that are still awake or cognizant at this point, are going to feel about the boys just kind of disappearing. So, sure. Yeah, I'm ready to roll. Let's pack our um, bags. Head on. There you go. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to go wrap up um, uh, for this episode. Just kind of one of those uh, normal things, how you can find us. So we are on social media. Um, I think we just hit 200 followers on Twitter. Uh, so that's been growing. We're almost at 200 likes on our Facebook page. Uh, completely different audiences too. Like our Twitter is is almost exclusively fans of Wheel of Time um, and not a lot of uh, people we know, whereas our Facebook is almost all, all our friends like in real life so, um, that have that, you know, that, that, that know us through Facebook. So it's completely different, two different audiences. Our Instagram is also starting to grow. I'm not a big Instagrammer, so um, um, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to do that, but it is growing. Also, we've had some people join our Discord server. Um, uh, Yay. To, yeah, and it's been, it's been fun interacting with people that do join it. Um, uh, we are on there a lot, and um, even if we're not on there, and you write a message, it's not going to be long before one of us responds to it. Um, and uh, it's just a fun way to interact with us. And um, I, I can speak for Ian and Chris that they, they if you are a first time reader, they do want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, please, come on. <laughs> so uh, uh, just because they want to bounce their theories off people that are going through the same same place they are right now. Um, as I mentioned before, previous episodes we do have a Patreon as well. If you feel inclined to give. That's there. Links are in the description below. Um, also, if you want to write us a note, um, our email is uh, thewheelreads at gmail.com. Um, other than that, I'd also like if you'd appreciate it, or, uh, if you, whatever platform you listen on, on whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, whatever, um, Spotify, uh, we're on, I think it's nine or 10 different platforms. So, whatever it is you listen on, um, go ahead and hit a like or subscribe button on there. Um, if you could write a review on this on the platform, write a review, hopefully a good one. Um, those kind of things help us uh, get found. Um, uh, you know, I think a couple of people I told about it, it's in a link to, and they went to go look for it and they couldn't find it because the way the algorithms work is the, if, if no one, it's one thing to have views, another thing to have interactions and it just helps that. So it's easier for people to find us uh, when they search, search for us or it, we pop up pop up as recommended so that would be greatly appreciated um anything else i'm missing guys or so i was gonna say uh let's let's make it a point to find somebody in kansas oh yeah <laughs> definitely we need one more person in kansas or at least one listener in kansas so they can do that for us anything chris you want to i was gonna say um for those that are listening for those that want to have more feedback or have your opinion heard or maybe you know have a topic for us to kind of think about as we're going along in the book, hit us up on the discord. That way we can learn a little bit more about what your thoughts are. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that's also, I um, guess we're ready to sign off. So see y'all later. All right. Peace. Later on. Thank you for listening to the wheel of reads. See y'all next time.